This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Alright, guys, so I am very excited to be sharing this episode with you guys. For those of you that don't know Sally Norton, she is all things oxalates. Oxalates is a type of anti nutrient, and we will go into way more discussion about it in our talk. So I know that carnivore is gut healing, it has so many healing powers, it's an amazing way of eating. But as you will see in this video, you sort of get an eye opening view of what oxalates can also do in your diet. And so maybe carnivore, maybe carnivore is even more beneficial. Beneficial because you're actually removing oxalates from your diet. Take a watch and definitely, definitely follow Sally Norton and her work. She is an amazing individual. All right, so before we get into the video, please make sure to subscribe, please hit the bell, make sure to get notifications on, and make sure to like this video so that I'm able to produce more content for you guys. All right, let's get into it. Hey guys, it's Nutrition with Judy. And so today we have the pleasure of having Sally Norton on with us. And if, for those of you that don't know her, she is everything oxalate. So、um, I would love for her to introduce herself. And so, Sally, if you could just、um, do a brief introduction, explain why you got interested in oxalates, and、uh, just please share your story. Oh, sure. Hi. It's so nice to be with you and your listeners. I'm Sally Norton, and I've been in the health sphere my whole life. In kindergarten, I would come home and tell my mother what we learned in school about how many glasses of milk we're supposed to have. I was always geeking out about that. And in seventh grade, I,、um, my science teacher showed us a film strip, which is what they used to do back in the 1970s. <laughs> and it said, like, oh, if you eat all these cabbage family vegetables, you don't get cancer. And if you eat all these hot dogs and stuff, you get cancer. And I thought, you know, within a day or two of that, I'm like, I want to go in and study nutrition so I can help people not get disease. It, wouldn't it be cool if you could just have a great life and not get sick? So I've always wanted to figure that out. And、That's、like、awesome. so many of my now clients and followers, it didn't work out very well following nutrition advice. And eventually my health completely shipwrecked and I had to quit my career as a faculty at the university writing research grants in public health. And I had to climb back out of this complete shipwreck 
and figure it out myself, what was wrong with me. And it turned out that I had poisoned myself by eating healthy foods that I grew in my organic garden. And here I had a degree in nutrition from Cornell University, a master's degree in public health. I ran an NIH-funded grant at the University of North Carolina that taught holistic or worked to uh, make an effort to bring in awareness of nutrition and all kinds of holistic ideas that had been coming into our culture since like the 60s that patients were aware of, like taking garlic and and doing herbs and changing your diet. And and the doctors really get no training in at all. So we had this big grant. And so I have a great, vast knowledge in holistic healing. And yet my health had been dragging like forever. And I had all these health issues and I knew all the right stuff and all the Right. right people. And it, it eventually just collapsed completely, and through more and more trials, it, it finally dawned on me that I had been having arthritis since I was 12. Wow. It was because of my diet. And I was like, oh, my God. And so I was like, shit, I have to do this stupid <laughs> oxalate thing. I got all these other problems that caused me to basically lose my life. I was... Literally, like on the sofa, not able to exercise, not able to really read or function. And I'm like, I got all these other problems. I got to fix my sleep problem. I got to fix this. My stomach isn't right. I'm constipated. And I got to do this thing for my arthritis. So I started doing a slow oxalate diet in a serious way for the second time because the first time I tried it in 2009, Mm -hmm. I didn't have enough understanding of how this works. So I didn't even see in my own body how much I needed it. Right. 2013, it was so amazing because I was now aware that my body was getting stiffer and more arthritic all over again, like it did back in my days when I was a vegetarian. And so I did it for that. But uh, what shocked me was that all my other problems started getting better. All of them. It's this long list of things that were responding this time to this change in my diet. And now I knew what I was doing because I had been learning about oxalated foods for several years at that point. And sure. it just blew my mind off my, you know, like literally tear out my brain cells and put them in a blender, please. Because I was like, what the heck is going on here? Because, hey, I have a degree in nutrition. I'm supposed to know stuff. <laughs> right, right. So how did you pinpoint that it was oxalates? I mean, what, you know, I know that you had arthritis, but I mean, what, what exactly did you, you know, cause that's not common knowledge for nutrition. So what, like, how did you go down that rabbit hole and realizing that, Hey, it might be the anti-nutrients. Right. Right. And, um, you know, the anti-nutrients when I was in college were just like, well, if you eat the, if you have tea with dinner, the tannins will mess up your, this. don't eat your tea with dinner. It was like really simplistic stuff I learned in college. And so I didn't have a strong awareness other than, you know, Weston Price had been teaching people for years that you should soak your grains to deal with the phytic acid and you can, there's just proper ways of preparation and then there's fermentation. You can sort of pre-digest vegetables. All these things will help you. But nobody's dealing with oxalate except for this one lone brave soul who founded the Volva Pain Foundation over 25 years ago. Because she or her people she knew went through some really evil stuff with crotch pain where their their genitals were hurting so much. They went through years of torture. They literally do things like uh, take off the 
the skin on your vulva to try to help you with vulva pain. And they take wow. out glands around the vagina because the, it seems like it's the problem with the glands. And it doesn't really help because it turns right. out all this pain was is inflammatory response to too much oxalate in the body. And when they um, started hooking up, this one person hooked up with a guy named Claude Sol- Solomons mm-hmm. who studied these women with this vulva pain. And this one in particular was his first case and looked at their urine. And he found this spiking pattern with oxalate in the urine and the they together they decided well maybe we should be thinking about that and they start playing with it and lo and behold it works for pain and then another person picked up on it about 10 years ago 15 years ago i'm fitting their timeline but susan owens was working with autistic families and they copied the same urine testing pattern which involved testing every single urine void through the day for multiple days because you only see the high pathologic oxalate in the urine on one or two voids a day. So if you have eight voids a day, you, you test the wrong void and there's no problem. But this pattern was very clear in these women with the vulva pain. So anyway, I myself had a vicious attack of this vulva pain in 2009. And it was so bad that the distress was real obvious with my husband and he got on the internet. I mean, I literally in the house, I'm here in this house. I'm like, Oh my God, I don't need these genitals anymore. Please cut them off. You know, it's like, it was, I could see why you would submit to these evil surgeries because it's pretty (laughs) terrible pain. And he, he did this search and he found the vulva pain foundation. I'm like, there's a vulva pain foundation. And it turned out it's right down the street from where I used to work at UNC in Chapel Hill. Like it's in North Carolina. I'm like, how come I never knew about that when I was pulling together all this holistic local people for our conferences and things? Sure. And I'm like, I should have known her. And then I was like, but this is weird. She's not really a scientist. She's not really a doctor. She's just a person with her foundation. What does she know? And, but I, you know, needed to not be in pain. Sure. But I bought all her materials and started learning about it, but I didn't understand that if you have an oxalate problem, your body's probably filled with oxalate. Sure, sure. Oxalate gets stuck in your body. If you stop eating it, you still have a bunch of oxalate in your body. Stopping eating it is just the first step towards allowing your body to heal from this, which can be a very long, long period. The Volvo Pain Foundation doesn't teach that because they didn't quite take it far enough to discover that if you go low enough in your diet on how much you're eating, the body will start expelling the oxalate that's been gradually accumulating over the years. And that is more what Susan Owens with the autistic kids found out, that when they really put these families and these children on a low oxalate diet, all kinds of mayhem would show up with rashes and behavioral spikes and anxiety and different symptoms Right, come and go randomly as the body tried to clear out the oxalate. That's interesting. So, I mean, just from your what you just told me, um, some of the symptoms for oxalate seems to be like arthritis, um, even some of the signs from the autistic kids. But, um, and I think I've read. I mean, I'm so hopefully the followers can hear. But um, 
Is there a specific list kind of of, you know, here are the signs of oxalate dumping or if there's a lot of oxalates in your body? Um, and it sounds like the way to test for oxalates, the best way is through urine. Um, are there other testing as well? Yeah, no, the, the urine testing is not very good. Oh, okay. And that's okay. because, A, if you take that that day where there's those pathologic spikes, maybe two, and you pu- yes. pull it into a 24-hour urine collection, mm-hmm. it looks maybe a little high normal, but it doesn't look like disease. It doesn't look sure. oh, gotcha. Okay. And the, the amount that you excrete from one day to the next changes a lot. The body's doing different things over time. In fact, one guy did this. 24-hour collection every day for 30 days, and when they graphed out how much oxalate was in his urine over the 30 days, it came out as the perfect bell curve. Okay, that's interesting. Fascinating, because maybe there's even a lunar cycle affecting when the body releases oxalate and how it's managing oxalate. There could be an annual cycle. There's probably a daily cycle, because what Clive Solomon's found in his testing was that every woman's peak of oxalate was at the same time of day, her time of day. Interesting. So if you and I did this test, your time might be 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. and mine might be 2 p.m. and 6 p.m. But mine would always be at 2 and 6 and yours would always be at 11 and 1. And they would, like, yours would always be yours and mine. It's like, so there's the circadian patterns going on and the various factors that shape when that's happening are not studied. This whole idea of, of oxalate collecting in the body to begin with has not been studied well because right. big mistake in science has been to let, in the last 60 years, the only people who really pay much attention routinely to oxalate in the research world are people studying kidney stones and kidney failure and kidney disease right. because oxalate has to leave the body through the kidneys and the kidneys take a big hit. Uh, and so we see that in rising rates of kidney stones right. and interstitial cystitis, bladder stones, urinary urgency, nighttime frequency, cloudy urine, all these kind of urinary tract stuff. That's uh, stress on the kidneys. And of course, we're doing a lot more to harm the kidneys these days because just simple over-the-counter cold medication, allergy medication, all these medications stress the kidneys and wear them out. And then we're eating high oxalate foods and we're doing lots of things like eating all the time that reduce our kidney function. So when you test the urine, to get back to the fact that urine tests don't work, sure. you test the urine of a kidney or a set of kidneys, hopefully you still got two, not everybody does. Right, right. Test that urine of kidneys that are tired and don't work well, there's not a lot of oxalate there because the k- kidneys lose their power to filter out the oxalate as well as they should. And if your kidneys are filling up with oxalate, then the oxalate itself in the kidney almost acts like a magnet where it just keeps collecting more and more oh, and it can't pass out. So low oxalate in the urine is a sign of renal failure. It's not a sign that there's not an oxalate problem. In fact, if you can't pee out cloudy, crystally yeah, oxalated urine, that's a problem because most people are eating so much oxalate, you should be seeing cloudy urine now and then. Because right. that's the crystals, right? So if you're not seeing that, you're probably really loading up with oxalate because your kidneys aren't able to dump it. So the ironic part is your urine testing only tells you how well your kidneys are working. It tells sure. you nothing about how much oxalate is backing up in your joints and your bones and your teeth and your sinuses and your thyroid gland. Hey. 
Hey guys, just to let you know, my Carnivore Cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. Wow. So what, what would you recommend then for people, you know, if they have some of the common symptoms that um, other people seem to have with high oxalates in their bodies, what would you recommend for them to get tested? You know, because I know that a lot of the oxalate dumping is similar to other like metabolic diseases and uh, such. So what would you recommend? In terms of testing? Well, really probably doing your own uh, education. So you know when you're eating. The reason I could finally see it in myself is because Mm -hmm. I finally recognized when I was eating oxalates and when I wasn't. So I had known this arthritis came back on because I was doing an experiment with kiwi and I started doing juicing with celery in it. So I was doing celery juice with two other things that are low in oxalate, which sure, was sure. romaine lettuce and, and uh, cucumber. They, they were low. But I knew when I added the celery and I added the kiwi that I was adding back oxalates to my diet. I, and I thought, well, I don't have this vulvapane problem, so I can do this. And then mm-hmm. as I was doing that over the months, I was getting stiffer. And I, so I knew because I now I knew what I was doing. The problem, the reason why no one can see this is because no one knows what their exposure to oxalate is from day to day because you're never thinking about it. So that's not a filter you have when you sure. make your spinach smoothie. You don't say, well, I'm going to douse myself with oxalate with this smoothie right. and see how I am. Or I'm going to make some nice keto bread with almond flour and really knock myself out with oxalate toxicity and see how that feels. Nobody's thinking like that. Sure, so the, only, sure. the best way to start is not blood tests. And although blood tests are probably better mm-hmm. in some ways than urine testing, believe it or not, it, it's none of that's going to really tell you much, especially in the hands of a clinician who knows zero about this. Sure. But it's if you know when you're eating oxalate and then you quit for a while and then you try it again and quit for a while and try, you do that enough times and you will find out. I guarantee gotcha. So it sounds like it's a little bit of an elimination diet where you remove it. But I wonder if, because I know there's several carnivores in the community that they won't eat oxalates for a while. And so at first they feel great on carnivore and then they'll feel some of the symptoms come back. And I think that's some of the oxalate dumping you're talking about. So it's it's interesting to figure out when it's oxalate dumping or when it's, you know, you're just eating that food and that's why you're feeling it. So it's trying to figure out, I guess, maybe it's a certain amount of time period that needs to pass. And obviously it's very bio-individual, but it's interesting because you can actually not eat the foods and then your body will dump out the oxalates and then you may feel some of that pain again. Um, From your experience, so then, (laughs) and I know you said the time varies, but in general, have you seen sort of like a you know, if you go on a very low oxalate diet, like how long do you feel the symptoms of oxalate dumping? And again, I know it varies, but in general. Yeah, it's, it's very individual. People have to recognize there's not any hard and fast rules. Sure. And I could cite lots of science that demonstrates that that is certainly in the science that everyone with oxalate poisoning is completely unique. Their symptom pattern is unique. Usually it's a silent disease and it often gets unmasked when you quit eating the oxalate. Because in the meantime, while your body is filling up with oxalate, your body is busy storing it and stashing it and protecting you and being very careful to manage it so the kidneys don't get blown out in the process. And it's 
really working hard to protect you and, and the immune system is coming along and packaging things up and keeping them from being highly reactive. It's when they come back out again that that is not natural to have 20 years worth of oxalate buildup suddenly moving at one time. So it depends on how much you've your like system, how, how much of it is starting to mobilize and come back out, how severe those reactions are later and when they come on. Well, one thing that seems to fit with the research and the literature is that there's a, a five-day period that the cells need to get ready in order to excrete the oxalate that's there. Okay. So they have to build up the liposomes and get metabolically ready to break it down into nanocrystals and move it out in that way. And so there's often a five-day honeymoon when you go on, get rid of the oxalates where the day-to-day the -day traffic that's in sure. your gut then goes to your liver and then goes to your heart and your lungs and your whole body because you just ate spinach or chia pudding or you name it, big bowls of raspberries and purified vegetables and piles of mountains of vegetables or nuts and seeds on everything, crackers, you name it, whole wheat. Right. There's so many ways to get in trouble. Potatoes. You could just be a French fry and potato chip nut who likes a little peanut M&Ms on the side, and that's enough. You don't have to be a health food person, by the way, right. to fill up with oxalate. So for 20 years, you've been had this little secret thing with potato chips or secret thing with peanut butter every night. You could have 20 years worth of oxalate waiting to come out. We're not built to suddenly shift a 20-year load and just, like, the body is been waiting for that moment when you're going to quit your peanut butter habit for 20 years and right. now you're finally doing it and in the old days before you could eat peanut butter every day you would just on the weekends during your fast or your hunting or you're traveling to Wisconsin on foot you just hardly ate anything you caught a few bunnies and squirrels and roasted them and you weren't eating oxalate all the time so you were just naturally unloading them. You'd eat a few raspberries and then you'd not and you'd unload them. So, But now, the way we eat with grocery stores and snacks everywhere and needing a food every five minutes. Yeah, it's the perfect storm. <laughs> so now the body's just doing its thing. It's okay, we got a break, finally it's going to get rid of it. But now it's getting rid of it from 20 years of buildup or whatever. Right. So it's much more severe. You can feel much worse after you go low oxalate than you did when you were making yourself sick. Right. So some people get into big trouble because it's, it's moving out. It, it can cause localized cell distress, which causes a loss of minerals and um, localized acidosis. And in, in tissues that have a microbiome, the acidosis will harm the bacteria that live there. A lot of bacteria are acid sensitive. That's how the stomach protects you from having bacteria is with acid. So if you release a lot of acid in the tissue, yeasts and things like candida are going to take over because the bacteria start to struggle there. So you're going to see things like flushes, yeast flushes, candida rashes, just because the oxalate's coming out. You're going to see uh, illness that acidosis causes. You just don't feel good. You're going to see neurological symptoms, like your mood goes really flat and you're just not the least bit excited about anything. And Or you get frank depression or you get these little panic attacks that are quite severe. Uh, some people will get panic attacks and then clearly something's happening that's truly an oxalate dump. And sometimes the way you can distinguish this from maybe being sick is sure. you know the timing. You know that you've completely shifted your diet and things are going on. That's a, you have to acknowledge that that's a real thing. 
that's a very real thing chemically if you were eating a lot of one toxic chemical and then you stopped eating it that's a huge shift right there so that timing and then remember i was talking about cloudy urine if you're peeing out a lot of oxalate there's a lot of crystals that tends to make the urine look cloudy most people are not in the habit of looking at their urine but you need to start doing that <laughs> if it's nice and clear then your body's not passing a lot of oxalate but there's always oxalate in every single pee you ever did in your life there's always oxalate on your body always when it gets cloudy that's called crystal urea that's a disease of too much oxalate in the urine but most people now are going to see a lot of that if their kidneys are working so right. when you feel bad and then you see cloudy urine oh okay i felt bad and then there's all this oxalate in my urine i guess that could be connected and you'll start to notice right. that connection i talked to someone this week I think he's in Spain and he was saying he would get the cloudy urine first and he'd see two days of really thick cloudy urine and then he would collapse and feel oh, horrible wow. for several days um, and of course I work with people who are in these really quite ill state because the oxygen is now coming out and they're they're needing a way to manage it and how to address all these side effects and the the, the damage that's being caused as you're healing it's sort of like the pain of healing Sure. So do you, do you, I mean, I've seen some, um, I think, I think it was, may have been some of your posts, but do you then recommend some of these people to go on a, like a transitional oxalate? So not to go completely, um, yeah. no, void of, okay, oxalates and to go slower. Right. In fact, because think about, it, it's like hitting a wall. If you were eating yeah. peanut butter every night and almond bread in the morning and then raspberries in your smoothie every day, and and high oxalate diet, and then you suddenly stop that. You you've right. been like that is too quick a change. You're going to change your microbiome. It's like causes a, a, a it's it's trauma, and sure. it seems to me that any trauma to the body is going to cause some oxalate dumping of some. Okay, so that makes sense. sometimes oxalate problems show up after birth, surgery, an accident, a death, a lot of uh, stress. So because I really think that. The body's ability to hold on to all this oxalate is sort of delicate. It's okay. being held in place by a system that involves electromagnetic charges and cell communication. And you need a certain degree of health to hold all that back. Sure. And that delicate system can get disrupted by something as easy as giving birth to a kid. Oh. And all of a sudden, then you're sick because the system just loses its its ability to keep doing this difficult work of hanging on to the oxalate and it starts getting loose. And once it's loose, you've got a, a real live poison roaming around your body and it needs to get out of there. So you need good kidneys. You need to support your kidneys. Uh, the kidneys are struggling and you've got acidosis going on. The colon is going to jump in and try to help. Right. And you need to help colon work on that too. And so there's, it's yeah, and a lot of Right. And a lot of us with our modern diet, we have like gut issues because of the, you know, the, all the other anti-nutrients and all the processed foods we're eating. So we probably don't have as good of a colon functioning too. So yeah, it's like, like you're saying, it's, it's the perfect storm for all of this oxalate stuff. Um, so in your mind, do you have this magical number of what is sort of like a healthy amount of oxalates per day that a person can consume? Well, if you're at like 3,000 milligrams today, you want to come down slowly from that sure. and work your way down. 
in a way where the, the body is not abruptly being invited to suddenly puke out oxalate. So you want to come down off that dangerous cliffs kind of slowly. So pick your worst food and start eating half as much of it and, and backing down. And, and then once you get down to like 150 milligrams, you're at a level where that's per day. You're at a level where you may be able to just stave off the dumping if you come down kind of gradually. But if you jump from 3,000 to 150, that's a huge, that will trigger release. But if you got there gradually at that level, that's like 50 milligrams per meal, you, you should not see a lot of dumping because at that level, 50 milligrams a meal, you can still trigger new deposits. It's still, wow. 50 milligrams per meal is enough to overwhelm the kidneys. Wow. And, and just how much just, gets absorbed. Okay. And just for the followers to give them sort of references with the numbers. Yeah. Um, what is that? So like a hundred grams. Um, I mean, and correct me, but um, there's like for spinach, there's 756, right? Like 756 milligrams of oxalates. Um, raspberries. I, I forget the, it's like one serving has like 40 something milligrams of oxalates. Yeah, a, so. a teaspoon of turmeric is like 50 milligrams. Yeah. At the, and people will throw like a whole tablespoon into their smoothie or something. I know. Right. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I you could be, you can easily, if you like into almond smoothies with spinach and a little turmeric in there, you know, you're out in outer space here with yeah. toxic land. And, okay. and a few people are getting away with that, but most people's bodies are just coping beautifully. And you're going to pay with osteoporosis. You're going to pay with early aging. You're going to pay with loss of brain function and poor sleep and you're going to start becoming irritable and things are going to start not working well and you're starting to have urinary symptoms. Eventually the system will break down. And of course it starts in the gut, like everything you're right. eating these anti-nutrients and it's, it's going right past the sphincter muscles that control whether you have, uh, you know, reflux or not and the sphincter muscles and the muscles themselves that control peristalsis and how well you have BMs or not. And whether you're constipated or have fecal diarrhea, which we see both ends of that with oxalate poisoning, you, you can't keep eating this poison and running it past those muscles and nerves and those mucosal membranes and those delicate cells and have that go well. And if so, you're also doing beans and lectins and oh, other yeah. things, the lectins will really get you going. If you do undercooked beans and eat high oxalate, you're pretty much guaranteed for IBS and general misery for... Right. <laughs> so, you know, like one comment I get often is that, oh, my kids can handle oxalates, a little bit of raspberries, a little bit of nuts is not a big deal. So, um, like, and you know, all of the symptoms that you're talking about, obviously we generally don't see that till we're older. So what would you recommend to parents that are like, oh, raspberries, come on, there's, they're low in glycemic index. Um, the oxalates my kids can handle it like what would be your response because yeah. you know in the keto community even um, what even in the carnivore community sometimes people are like you know I wanted something sweet so I had a few raspberries not a big deal but you know I, I when you consider anti-nutrients they kind of are a big deal so I mean what would you say to parents <laughs> like that Right. Well, you know, parenthood is very tough these days with food. You know, that everywhere you turn, it's all the wrong food. You go to school and there's cupcakes go. every day. Everyone's having a birthday every day at school. And the, the school lunches are tater tots and garbage. And, 
you know, grandma's not helping either. And, you know, it's just, it's a war zone out there. I don't know how anybody raises kids anymore and feeds them well. So first of all, I have tremendous sympathy for people trying to feed their kids right. And I can see why they would just throw it back in your face and say, leave me alone, Judy. It's bad enough. You're just, this world of socks, you know, so, but, but think about it. I mean, if you're buying fruit, why not buy the low oxalate version Right. Rather than the high oxalate, what to, to get a mango instead of the berries. It's not that big a deal. We're just saying learn enough so you know what you're doing to your child. So if you're right. letting them have too much peanut butter, letting them do the too much celery, too much spinach, too much almonds and nuts, and they start driving you crazy, well, you earned it. You know, you, at least you know how you've wrecked your kids and sure. made them difficult because it will affect their attention right. span, their yeah. sleep, their mood. It will make them grumpier and irritable and if you want nice happy children and want to make home life good don't poison your kids and it's a little sugar i'd much rather see you sweeten something with real sugar that has no anti-nutrients because think about pure sugars have no anti-nutrients it's just fuel and glucose in the right amounts won't kill you yes you can have 100 grams 200 grams of glucose a day it doesn't kill you it's What's killing people with sugar is that they're getting 200 grams every mouthful. And, and they think dessert is actually food. Yes. You know, so, you know, it's not that big a deal. Instead of the peanuts, get some pumpkin seeds. Instead of the berries, get some mango. Or, you know, learn where right. the plates are and start paying attention for the sake of all of you. And everybody in the household will be happier. At least right. to the degree that you can control it. I mean, it's difficult today to keep kids out of peanut butter and tater tots and French fries. I mean, right. and I wish I wish I could save every child under the age of five from French fries and potato products and peanuts. I, but I can't. Yeah. I, it's painful to watch what's happening to these kids. I, I yeah. see young parents with one-year-olds ordering spinach smoothies at the juice bar and, and, and giving their kids spinach smoothies thinking this is the next Einstein they're creating by this food and it's just yeah. ignorant yeah no I, I definitely agree I mean my last YouTube video um, my solo one I talk about how peanut butter is so bad because not only do, does it have all the anti-nutrients they have added sugar and then it's mold. cooked in a it has all the mold yes and then uh, and also it, a lot of the peanut butters um, they use a lot of the seed oils you know so there's all the inflammation there too but yeah, it's, it, it's difficult. If you're not in the nutrition space, it is hard to see what's fact and fiction. But I think if you dig a little deeper, because nutrition is so important for kids. Um, yeah. But um, moving on to other anti-nutrients. Um, so why oxalates and not like uh, lectins and phytates and all the other, you know, yeah. many, many uh, anti-nutrients? <laughs> the, the oxalates have a way to accumulate and cause much more profound damage in your body. Oxalates okay. literally trash your your mitochondria, the stuff that runs your life. The right. enzymes right. that give you energy to live on are getting destroyed by oxalate. You really are getting at the core of health, disease, and aging when you're using oxalate. And obviously, lectins are quite evil, but you know, lectins are in limited numbers of food. If you cook really high heat, like you should, if you soak to get rid of lectins, you soak beans three days and then you cook the heck out of them. In Mm -hmm. India, they joke about how they cook all their stuff to death, right? Because they cook, cook, cook. That's how they're getting away with a high uh, lentil-based diet because lentils are the worst when it comes to lectins. 
But in India, they cook the heck out of them. But, so they don't see the lectin diseases, I don't think so much in India. What they see is the oxalate diseases. India has the highest oxalate diet in the planet. They use so much turmeric and spices, so many plants. They get a lot of green vegetable, weird ones that we don't get here in the U.S. that are unusual to us. But their summer rural greens are very high oxalate greens. And um, they are in big trouble with kidney problems and oxalate-related diseases. You, it's the routineness of it that really gets you in trouble with oxalates. And oxalates, you can't cook them away. You cannot soak them away. You can't ferment them away. You, can't, you can okay. boil a little bit of it out. You can leach it out of broccoli and certain greens like that and lower it. I saw um, the numbers not, of... Okay. Um, it's interesting, but I saw the numbers of uh, raw spinach versus cooked spinach, and cooked spinach actually, and I think it's the density of it, yes, but cooked spinach density, has yeah. way more oxalates than raw spinach does. Right. And then I think there was another vegetable that was similar to, maybe it was Brussels, I can't remember, but um, so, and that's because you're saying the density, right? Not it's, so the boiling, right. none of that helps with, okay. Because you have to use like this much spinach <laughs> to make this much cooked yeah, spinach. That's true. So this much spinach in a salad is too much but when you right. cook it it's like three bites so right. it's really just cooking concentrates it because it's a lot of fluff in raw greens like spinach is really fluffy okay so yeah. what i'm hearing from you so far is there's no way to sort of mitigate eating oxalate you know like better ways to eat oxalate foods you're sort of saying they should just kind of be removed from your diet is that correct yeah, gradually learn what they are, learn what's your worst, you know, the ones you're most addicted to, start with the ones you don't care about, and really start learning to steer around them. It's just not uh, going to work out to eat something that's, that is so profoundly and subtly and silently decaying your health and making that part of your routine staple foods. It's just not a good idea. If you if you're truly want, want to live well and not be depressed, not have aches and pains and osteoporosis and arthritis and kidney problems and wanting to cut off your genitals, then, you know, it's an easy thing to get around, except the learning about where the oxalates are sure. is not easy. And there's not the cultural support for it. Right. Because it's- we've been pushing spinach and almonds like some kind of miracle cure. <laughs> it's quite crazy. Now. It's, it's, I mean, as we're talking about this, what I'm realizing is, so I was pescatarian, which I basically just was vegetarian, and then I had occasional fish, but I lived off of these big spinach salads every day for lunch and dinner, and then I would have nuts, like almonds, to fulfill that fat need, and now I'm realizing, and then I suffered from major postpartum depression, but I think I always had mild depression during that whole 12 years, and I thought it was carnivore that was healing it, which I do think the diet of meat helps, but I wonder if some of that was the fact that I'm not eating the oxalates. It's very interesting. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, carnivore is getting credit for the removal of oxalate. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a lot of it's a really serious neurotoxin and a huge amount of depression, fibromyalgia, all kinds right. of stuff is oxalate. I mean, it's weird that no one is talking about it because it's in the science. It's been in the science a long time. Yeah, not so much with the depression. I, I haven't found a lot in like the psychology, sure. um, basic science on, you know, the neurotoxicity. Okay. That is not well developed, but it's very clear um, among my people, all sure. of us with this problem. And it could also be that once you go carnivore and you're not eating a lot of the anti-nutrients, you're not 
you know, it's not binding to a lot of the minerals and, you know, all of those um, other yeah. chemicals that have to go on. So yeah. then you can actually absorb the vitamin Bs to then create the serotonin <laughs> and then have the happy, you know, all the neurotransmitters right. from carnivore foods, which are nutrient dense. And then that's probably how it's also helping with depression. So it carnivore is like delivering B vitamins in a form you can actually use. Yes. It's delivering minerals in a form you can actually absorb and use. Your body recognizes those as minerals and nutrients that you can use. And see, oxalate destroys not only minerals, but also the B vitamins. Right. And like pork is really helpful for people who will eat it because it's high in B1. And there's okay. a big issue with B1, B6, and biotin. Those are all in trouble with people who have a long history of eating um, very plant-based diets. Oh, that's interesting. So mm -hmm. one um, post I saw from you um, said you had mentioned that keto rush may actually be oxalate dumping. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Because I know a lot of people basically say when they first start keto, hey, I'm getting these rashes because all of a sudden I've gone way too low in sugar. And so my body's reacting to the lack of carbohydrates. So the way to heal it is sort of, add back in and it's interesting because one school of thought they say add back in raspberries and berries and maybe it was the oxalates that were helping but they attribute it to the sugars it's really interesting now that we're talking about this but <laughs> yeah it'd be nice to be able to straighten all this out because if people are crediting either keto or the meat in without awareness of this big shift in the oxalates and how the body has to get rid of them. The person who recognized this, this oxalate dumping rash was Susan Owens working with these autistic kids. So the moms would start shifting these kids and they would break out in these phenomenal rashes and the right. autistic kids are difficult enough. And then you get these panic attacks from kids that are panicking anyway, and you get these rashes and you get this skin peeling off and, it becomes really clear and some people's bodies it's real obvious because the skin peels off in a way where the crystals are coming with it or i've had people that get these blistery rashes that each little rash bump is a blister and out from the middle of it comes white grit oh yes i've seen that i've actually seen that on some clients okay and i completely thought that was that keto rash but okay that's oxalate being pushed out so the body's the obviously at this when that's happening the kidneys can't handle it the body's being very efficient about expulsion of oxalate and just pushing entire whole crystals out people get these like chill bump bumpy arms that'll come and go it looks like they've got they're cold the and then it'll flake off in this white dust you know wow. and then it'll come back six months later then it'll come back a year later and there'll be these waves i myself i mostly got prickly sweat where i go to hot yoga in like one out of five yoga classes in the year after i started this diet i could feel this prickly stuff in my sweat glands coming out like you, could, you couldn't see it you couldn't touch it but inside like your skin you could feel this prickling going on it's really and so everyone is really different there's not one way the body's going to do what it can it's doing some really smart stuff in the background all along all your whole life it's been doing its best but once you give it a chance it wants to puke this stuff out and so yeah a lot of the stuff that we're saying oh that's a keto rash eh, well maybe they're prove to me that that's a keto rash and not an oxalate rash we need some science if if you sure. wanted to have an argument, right. but if you knew that you're changing oxalate and you have, oh, well, then there was the cloud of urine and then there was the, the, the emotional meltdown or the big argument. I mean, these are signs of oxalate dumping where somebody right. is suddenly, someone's suddenly angry or, you know, you know, just unsatisfiable or just freaking out or having panic attacks. 
That's not a keto rash. That's not a keto panic attack. That's a toxicity event as the body's pushing out the oxalate. And wow. it's hard to tell because some people, when they go keto, they go up on oxalate because now they're doing That's almond milk all the time. Right. Now they're doing almond bread. A lot of my clients are ex-keto. You know, they, no, that, no, that makes sense. I was, I, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. And they, you know, keto is like the last straw. Okay, you were sad, then you were vegetarian, then you were vegan, then you were raw vegan, then you were paleo, then you were paleo IP, then you were gaps, and then you were keto. Right. Exactly. Keto was like the last straw, and nothing is working because you finally got all the way to carnivore because the diet you always needed all along was oxalate awareness. It's interesting. So um, from the autistic kids, uh, what benefits did you guys see with their, you know, lessening of um, oxalate diet, uh, foods? Yeah, are- that's nearly not my area because I haven't worked oh, with those okay. families. But that's the, um, the Triangle of Oxalate group, which Susan Owens founded and uh, okay. still runs. That, that whole nexus of that was autistic children. And... So- those families found that not only the kids, but the entire family got better in so many ways on the low wow. oxalate diet. And they feel that some kids completely reverse their autism and other kids, it's like 30%, 50% better. I don't know how much that Susan has done long-term follow-ups and tried sure. to less that. She has a lot of data stuck on her computer. And she okay. hasn't taken the time to like pull it together as like, well, how do you take all these cases and turn that into a, a group uh, sure. cohort and see how well that's right. working? I know that the mainstream, offstream, like Susan's considered fringe, like oxalate and autism is considered fringe sure. by the fringe groups. Okay. Like you couldn't get more fringe than oxalate and autism because the, the nutritional-based autism groups are not in favor of the idea that oxalate is part of the autistic problem. And so, unfortunately, they haven't embraced it, so there hasn't been enough energy there. But you can bet that um, it might be one reason why chocolate bars make kids really annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Although they blame the sugar and the caffeine in it, but I could see that. Um, It's All three. You got the, uh, the nerve irritant in the oxalate. You got the sugar... And in, in the theobromide and all the other garbage that's right. in chocolate. And of course, the good thing is kids don't like dark chocolate, but still, there's always enough in a little ter- person's body. It doesn't take more than an right. ounce of chocolate to overdo the oxalate. So maybe you should switch to a different kind of bad sugar for kids and get away from the high oxalate sugar and right. see, see, you know, I back when I was hanging out with kids on a routine basis, I never distinguished chocolate sugar from other kinds of sugar and how bad they would start acting afterwards, but it's something to be looking for. That's interesting. Yeah, I think it was, um, when I would talk to other families, they would always say it's probably the caffeine that's added to the sugar and the blend of both, but obviously they never think about the um, anti-nutrients, but that's definitely an interesting factor that you have to consider because... Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people think it's the caffeine. And I mean, I thought that too before, you know, knowing about more about the anti-nutrients. Um, there are also families that say, you know, um, there's also that thought of, well, a little bit of exposure to toxicity is good as you build uh, like the kid's immune system and, you know, the whole idea of hormesis and having a little bit of bad will make the body stronger. So what is your take on that in terms of kids growing and the exposure to oxalates? Well, 
do you hand them mercury thermometers and say lick the mercury here so you have a little hormesis or say oh go somebody just sprayed the grass why don't you go play out in the grass and get some roundup right hormesis benefits do you do that i mean how is the oxalate gets a pass because plants made it but pollution makes it and oxalate is a cleaner that cleans heavy metals off of engines and pulls the rice the the rust spots out of concrete it's a very reactive acid and chemical right if it's a chemical that can lift rust out of your concrete driveway is it really something you want to be giving your children for easter you know it's up to you how much poison you think your kids need to be tough enough but there are other ways to be tough you make them run a lot you can make them work in the yard you can make Very them vacuum true. you know maybe that's more hermetic <laughs> but giving yeah. them oxalate you know i think hormesis is an excuse there's so many safer ways to do hormesis and the other thing is no one has ever shown a hermetic benefit from oxalate the body makes oxalate anyway so some amount 50 30 percent of the oxalate you pee out depending on how much you're eating is just coming from your metabolism so can you create hormetic effects on something that you're exposed to day in and day out? You, I don't think, I don't know. But hormesis is a pretty crummy excuse. It's not based on science. You're just making that up and show me the science. Okay. In no, terms of oxalate, there are right, such right. things as hormesis, sauna, cold yeah, like showers, yes. cryo, jump in a snowbank, you know, run a lot. But using a, a toxin as hormetic for your child? Okay. Right. Please. So, um, of the vegetables, uh, what would you consider are safer vegetables to eat then? Would it just okay. be, because you know, like there's so many, if you were to go down the list of all anti-nutrients, I think plants have every single, you know, there's, you know, obviously nuts, grains, and seeds have multiple mm-hmm. anti-nutrients. But if you were to say these are the safer vegetables to eat, what, what would be that list for you? Right. So you'd want, you'd want, if you, if it's something that has phytates in it, you you need to soak it and do all of that. If it's something that has lectins in it, like, okay, here's a low oxalate lectin food. It would be, um, black eyed peas or green peas. So with your green peas, just really cook them hard and long enough so that the lectins are handled for your black eyed peas soak them a little bit and then high heat them uh, to, you know, use a pressure cooker and cook them all the way. And then they're okay. In the leafy green department, there's only three leafy greens that are bad in oxalate. Just really three, well, three or four or five, but the top three are spinach, Swiss chard. Yes. Can you guess the other one? I made a list. I'm trying to think. Um, I know it's not broccoli. Well, broccoli is a no, cruciferous, a but I know they're not that high. Yeah. Um, so it's Swiss not chard's though, cousin. Right? Swiss chard's actually tight sibling is beet greens. Oh, yeah, yes. That's right. That's right. Swiss chard is basically beets without a beet on the end of it. It's basically the same plant. Oh, okay. And they're worse. They're worse than spinach. As bad as spinach is, Swiss chard is worse and beet greens are worse. So those are the three evil twins of high oxalate greens and then there's green curly kale is not so good and collards are a little bit high but the dino kale is very low cabbage is really low and then all the other leafy greens like romaine lettuce and mosh and you know you name it more arugula that stuff is low in oxalate 
Okay. So you just have to remember three leafy greens and then watch the watch the green curly kale. If you got those four greens gone, then anything leafy and green is fine. So okay. that that's not there's no real lectins in them. Mm-hmm. Now the there's brassica problems in arugula and a lot of these things like and, watercress is a brassica. Right. Watercress, right. arugula, and I'm not sure about corn salad and mosh or that one, what family it's in. So you know if you've got to be a rabbit and you've got to eat those things, occasionally cook them, you know, throw them into your, your beef saute or, you know, don't always eat them raw. And that handles the brassica problems, which are anti, you know, thyroid. It has goitogenic effects right, too right, much right. raw cabbage family. So, but if you're cooking them, you're better off. So cabbage is fine. You can have all those kinds of things. The, um, the lectin things are the fruits disguised as vegetables, like the squashes, Right. And um, sometimes, like with cucumber, you just peel and seed it, and then the cucumber is beautiful. You right. know, just get rid of the peel and the seeds. I, I would say amongst the squashes, the one that seems easiest to digest is the spaghetti squash. Okay. Okay, that's it's good. Ver- that's, uh, instead of like good. butternut, mm-hmm. butternut's a nice substitute for sweet potatoes. But if you're kind of bad digestion kind and you're a little bit lectin sensitive, you want to be sure those are all well cooked. But maybe try spaghetti squash instead of the butternut and don't overdo the zucchinis. Have them now and then. Again, if you get rid of the seeds, they're probably easier on your system. Sure. That's uh, interesting. Yeah, that's interesting because it, co- it, you know, just the list that you're talking about, it completely goes against what, you know, the standard American diet recommends, right? Because you're saying cabbage is better, but, you know, we start hearing, well, lettuce and cabbage is just water with vegetables. There's no real nutrients. And so it's like, eat the, eat the spinach for the iron, which I know is not bioavailable, but that's another topic. But, and then well, even the it's not food- bioavailable because it's oxalate, okay. right? It's the thing that makes... All the supposed minerals in spinach are useless because they're, right. they're not really they're not really nutrients. They're actually calcium and iron oxalates. They're not. That's interesting. Okay. You can measure them in the lab and say, oh, there's all this calcium and iron in the spinach, but in, in fact, it's not available. Right. And we knew that since the 1930s. They proved that when they were feeding rats, the rats they gave the spinach to could not reproduce and grow full-size bones. And then when they gave rats just spinach, the rats just fell over and died because the spinach is so toxic. But Popeye was invented because they thought the iron in spinach was actually nutritious. So Popeye could get iron muscle. The reason Popeye was for the iron, right? Right. But they realized later that that wasn't the case when they started actually testing it. Well, that's But myths, myths are much more popular than facts. That's very true. And even beet greens. I mean, I, I think I learned this at nutrition school, but it, it has like a healing component. I forgot what it was. Maybe it's supposed to help with your blood sugar. But I mean, even that it has so oxide many- or the nitric oxide from beets or something. Is that it? Yeah, I, um, I think it was it, it ha- it's used as a healing power. And I don't I think it's to regulate blood sugar dysregulation. I don't remember. So don't quote me. But it's just interesting. So I thought, oh, you know, we need to add that back in to, yes, I think I'm pretty sure it was the blood sugar regulation. But, you know, if someone consumes that a lot, that has a lot of oxalates and then it's a whole slew of other problems, right? So it's just interesting how in society we're being pushed to eat all these dark leafy greens. And I mean, one of the biggest ones is spinach, but it's so not good for you. And so, 
um, yeah, my eyes were really, you know, open wide when um, I did the research on high oxalates and the top of the list was always spinach. And, you know, we're also taught don't cook your spinach, you should eat it raw because then you're going to get more of the nutrients and it's just, um, you know, for a lot of the other anti-nutrients, it's better to soak in, you know, cook the crap out of it so that it removes the toxins. But, you know, we're doing like the opposite lately, right? So it's just, it's just interesting. Um, in your world of things, so what, what do you normally eat in a day? Like, what does your day of eating look like? Well, I, uh, of course, my days of eating have been evolving for decades like I'm always experimenting and moving and right now I tend to eat a late breakfast or early lunch okay that's usually just meat and pure carnivore okay. and then I'll do the same it's usually like 10 ounces of meat with a lot of fat it, it changes though and um dinner similar and then I've now I add in uh, coconut water, which is high in citric acid, which helps us get rid of oxalate. It's high in potassium, which is very good for oxalate. It's not a real glycemic high sugar drink. Yes. So mm -hmm. I'll do at least a cup of that on a lot of days, not every day. Okay. Today I was, I did a workout and I decided I really needed some. So I had a cup before the workout and two whole cups afterwards. That's usually like four days supply for me. Okay. Um, that was right for me the day. I, I really believe in listening to my body. Yes. So today I'm exercising today. I'm doing this. Some days I'll, I've been finally able to train my body to be able to do a 24 hour fast, like okay. an entire, it's really like a 36 hour fast or, you know, but an entire day of no eating because I know to eat three full meat meals the day before and let myself have three full heavy meat meals the day after, then I, I can go a whole day, you know, but that's right. my tricky meta. I'm a thin woman with, um, all this oxalate damage with my, um, cellular metabolism. So I don't really generate energy very well, which helps me stay thin at age 55. I'm very lean. I have very little fat in my skin. My skin is like really thin and no fat in it. Well, old skin. It's old loose skin, but it's still no fat. And right. part of that's probably because the oxalate has so damaged my metabolism. I even have trouble generating enough muscle glycogen. So in order to keep muscle glycogen up, I need to supplement some B1, benfotamine and sulbutamine, and I need to eat some carbs in the evenings. So I've, in okay. the last, I would say month or so, I've been trying to get at least 50 car grams of carbs either with or after dinner, shooting for 100 grams of carbs, and that gives me better sleep. It gives me better sure. performance. I have less muscle cramping. I am um, just do much better on that. So I like, per, for me, two meat meals plus 100 grams, it would be my target. I'm not really into carbs. I have to make myself eat papaya, mango, or rice or something. I have to make myself eat those things okay. for the medical benefits <laughs> or a scoop of uh, literally maple syrup or something because my body needs that. So sure, what I believe sure. in with eating is you and your body are working it out together. It was my colon that taught me to go to carnivore. My colon said, ooh, I love it when you quit eating all those plants, you know, and so it's my body's been pulling me through this journey, dragging me, kicking and screaming into low oxalate, into right. carnivore, and I'm continuing to, to learn from my body. That's great. great. I think um, I, I really commend you because I, that's what I always recommend to my followers and to my clients is we're all so bio-individual. There is no cookie cutter. You need to eat this many calories, these types of macros. All our bodies are different, and we need to listen to that and honor that. 
And I think that's great that you are following that and you know, you're willing to be flexible and even eat carbs um, <laughs> if that's the most beneficial for you, which makes sense, you know? Um, so from what I heard from you, your types of carbs are, you said mango, papaya, maple syrup, uh, white, white rice, right? Because I think brown rice. Yeah, is well, a good white rice occasionally. Okay. And I, I like to soak the rice 24 hours. Okay, yeah. And then I'll turn it into like a little dessert with a little maple syrup in it and a little bit of um, molasses, which has a lot of minerals. Okay. And it's, to me, it's a dessert. I think your average person would go, oh, that is not sweet. But... <laughs> Sure, sure. <laughs> to me, it's like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. <laughs> Have you tried um, manuka honey? Because manuka honey is also has benefits of di- for digestive health too. So, and that's yeah, also people like manuka honey. Honey and I don't get along. Any uh, kind of honey. I tried the one that I thought I could do was um, was orange blossom honey. But I have my. Part of what oxalate does to you is it creates this autoimmunity and it aggravates allergic okay. tendencies. And I'm from a very allergic family. We have allergic tendencies. Some of my arthritis is allergic synoviitis. So I get inflammation in the joints. So my allergies are not like snot coming out of my nose. It's pain in the joints. It's muscle weakness and muscle stuff. So I, the less plant, like honey is full of pollen. So there's like a lot of plants in there. There's all kinds of clovers and weeds and all kinds. And my system doesn't like that. So maple is like one plant. And even like coconut nectar is one plant. Coconuts and I get along great. Anything with coconut, my system loves. So I do like young Thai coconut. So that's a treat around here. We chop open a coconut and we love it. And um, yeah, so I I have a weird eating style. And I really, really, really think most people would do well on zero carbs in the morning, very little carbs midday, depending on when they're exercising. And then adding some carbs in the evening, uh, that's a really good pattern. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes, that makes sense. Um, I've heard a lot of people, they do well with like a little mini carb up at night, but then they normally use sweet potato, which isn't the best, you know, but... um, Sweet potato and one ounce is all you need to to help slow your dumping down. So if you grate like a tiny bit of sweet potato and saute it and throw it as a crispy garnish over your burger or something that might be a good choice for slowing down the oxalate dumping but but only an a ounce. whole big potato one ounce this is not much so one potato will last you all week wow. <laughs> basically so what would you um so I, I mean that's a good um segue to talk about this la- one of the last questions but um what would be your tips to feed families and i you know there's all this like misinformation about nutrition, you know, there's oxalates, there's sugars, there's seed oil. So what would be like some general tips? I know one you just mentioned is lower your oxalate count, you know, get educated about what the counts are. Secondly is um, probably limit carbs until maybe the evening time to get more rest and, you know, not have that whole sugar roller coaster through the day. Do you have any other tips for families? Yeah, I think families should be planning on finding really good sources of protein you know, hopefully you're feeding your family meat or at least eggs and cheese and finding the best sources you can connect with a local farmer and buy a quarter cow and fill your freezer up with beautiful meat. Make sure it's convenient for you that you've got meat in the house. I buy a whole pig at a time and roast the whole head and everything. It's really nice to have good meat around. Then it's much more convenient to throw together burgers and, and do barbecues and 
and teach the kids how to participate in shaping burger patties or teach them how to prepare foods and get involved with maybe the barbecue or planning a party or something like the best thing is like make kids competent around food let them know what where foods come from and work from foods as basic and scratch as you can it's really sad that children don't even know that ketchup comes from a tomato or what a potato looks like in the store like little kids like have no clue about food and i think at least some food competency is important and make kitchen time fun time right and, and because in the end kids are going to eat what they're going to eat but if they have some skills in the kitchen then they'll have power i mean the really that's where you build health is in the kitchen so you know spending some energy on making your kitchen functional teaching kids how to use knives and slowing down enough around make time for meals i mean set that into your life so there's time every week to spend time making meals enjoying meals planning meals going to visit a farm thinking about whether you want to try goat meat or something and, and make that an adventure that gives them an interesting childhood. I think it, that would be the place to focus most on. And then you can get all nutrition-y about it. Yeah, no, the, I think those are great tips. I mean, I we go to the farm every once a month to pick up raw goat's milk. My kids have seen the goats, you know, that they drink their milk from. So I think that's really great advice. Um, you know, there was a point where my kids were like, bacon is not pig, you know what I mean? So, and then they understand now that it's, the same meat. So yeah, I think um, education is so important and to make it interesting. So those are great tips. Um, to leave, uh, one thing is, uh, what is your favorite quote and uh, why do you pick that quote? Okay, well, I have several quotes and I pulled okay. one out. I told me you were going to ask me about that. And it was really yeah. hard to pick one. And I'm not sure who this guy was, Daniel Bornstein. Mm -hmm. But this applies to your doctor and to yourself. Like the people okay. you go to for expertise and yourself, the quote is, the greatest obstacle to discovery is not ignorance, it's the illusion of knowledge. Hmm. Interesting. That's what blocks people from hearing about oxalate. They already know that plants are saving them. So therefore, plants can't be the problem. Sure. Oh, that's, yeah. That's, that's, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Um, so where can people find you and uh, what are you up to next? And uh, if you could just share, and then I'll also put it in the notes as well where people can find you and maybe some of the studies that you've been citing. Yeah, so um, I've been playing around with Instagram lately. We're having a good time there. People are participating in conversations under posts so you can really connect with people sharing their stories about oxalate dumping there and find other people through Instagram and my posts that are doing this and, and share ideas there. That would be a cool place to find me. Uh, and I'm speaking in Ottawa in September at okay. uh, the keto retreat. So okay. keto folks should come on out and check that out and join us up there. That'll be fun. I'll probably be talking about some of these keto disasters <laughs> yeah keto no bread is getting a lot of people in trouble and you know what else you could do besides that and just probably cure people of their almond thing right, um, right. The website has got a ton of information on right. it you can it spend a long time reading and reading and reading and if you go into the support tab in the the shop page there's a bunch of free things in the shop page and a couple of little uh beginner's guide there you can sign up for my list and you'll get three emails uh, getting you started on thinking about uh, changing to a low oxalate diet. Um, yeah, I've been working on my 
book. We're sending out a bunch of proposals next week to get get a publisher excited about my book. So that entertains me. And and do if you really want to learn a little bit about the science, read this the article I wrote, Lost Seasonality and Overconsumption of Plants. Uh, that is for free on my shop page. And uh, let me yeah, know what you think. I'll link to it. I mean, I, I read through some of your blog posts and they're wonderful. I mean, there's so much information. Your Instagram has like simple graphics that make it eye-opening about oxalate. So, you know, you've done so much for the community. Uh, the keto community loves almonds. They love their almond flour and they love their berries. So um, hopefully this helps some um, people to even get them into more healing. So, well, thank you so much for your time. This has been very helpful. And yeah, I hope this helps people. So thank you very much, Sally. I'll talk to you soon. Oh, excellent. Thank you. It's been fun. Bye, everybody. Bye. All right, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed the video. I hope you guys enjoyed the Q&A. Um, I hope it was as mind-blowing for you as it was for me. I hope that it will allow you to eat a cleaner, oxalate-free diet. Make sure to check out the notes and look into more of the information. Make sure to follow Sally as she is a wealth of information. And I will talk to you guys next Saturday. All right, guys, have a good one. Eat a lot of meats, remove a lot of the oxalates, and I will talk to you guys soon. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.